Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we're going to examine a subject that is an essential component of passing down our faith to our children, and it has to do with their perception and respect for authorities, particularly the authority of the God who has promised to judge the world. As we look at this subject, we will discover that promoting a godly attitude and submission of authority involves a careful balance between the carrot and the stick, or as we will see, discipline and affirmation. Thanks for listening. I remember being a a child at my grandma's house watching uh, the old-time cartoons. Remember like Looney Tunes or Merry Melodies? Remember remember those? Um, I remember one where it must have been uh, Wiley Coyote, and he had some contraption he was trying to to build, and I think he he was was riding some critter, and, and as he was trying to manipulate the comedy of the sketch, uh, he had a, a carrot dangling out in front of the animal to get him to uh, move forward, and he had a stick that he was smacking him on the back. And uh, those two instruments, I thought, um, not when I was young, didn't really understand, but uh, see today that, you know what, the carrot and the stick play an important role in our lives. Right? The, the carrot as that motivator for something in front of you, that's, that's an opportunity to look towards, right? And that stick to give you that gentle little reminder to say, maybe sometimes not so gentle, uh, another motivator to go in the right direction. Uh, we have been in this series, I'm entitled The Final Generation, as we're seeking to make sure that the youngest generation in our church does not become the final generation. And I knew at the outset of this series, today's sermon was one that I was going to have to give. And it's really about the carrot and the stick. Although I'm, I'm framing it in two words that we more often use, discipline and affirmation. And the roles that discipline and affirmation must play in the lives of God's people in regards to the youngest generation. Uh, discipline is something that a lot of people in our culture today don't talk about. Um, there is a lot of fear around discipline because um, of, of a, a nature within our culture of tolerance and intimidation and, and feeling that you might be accused or that you might offend somebody. But, but the Bible is very clear on this. Uh, one reason that I asked Lois to read uh, verse 17, because the Bible commands you to discipline your children. So my job is to make sure you hear God's word taught correctly and without fear and without offense. Uh, This is something that we need to have in our lives. And it must occur. And in our world today, perhaps more than any other time, discipline is lost. And discipline is something that parents even fear. And we're going to look at a few reasons why here in just a minute. However, I want to make sure that we understand any message upon discipline that we would find in God's word needs to be balanced. If you only have a stick in your life, Uh, You you will find that you might end up with simply external conformity, but you will never reach the heart. And so there must be a balance with affirmation. Affirmation is that opposite side. It's the carrot that dangles there. To affirm uh, young people and to encourage them is something that is necessary in their lives. This, again, in many places, we see in our world today children who are starving for affirmation, children who are starving for love, never realizing what what they're doing is actually pleasing to their guardians, parents, and more importantly, to God. But if all you ever have is carrots, 
then what you will end up doing is creating within the child a heart that only ever feels insecure until somebody tells them that they're doing fine and we're unbalanced again. So really, that's the whole direction we're going to go this morning is to encounter biblical teaching upon these two concepts. Discipline with affirmation. That God speaks when he speaks about both discipline and affirmation. He speaks to the fathers. And so I want to speak to the fathers this morning as well. Now, this applies to mothers. Don't, don't think that it doesn't apply to mothers. But one of the, one of the realities that, that uh, I need to take into consideration is that the text that we're going to look at, they actually speak specifically to fathers. So that's why we're going to talk to fathers. Uh, secondly, mothers actually do a better job at this. O- almost by nature, Across the board, you will find um, not generally not as big of a detriment or failure on the part of moms, whereas you do regularly see absenteeism uh, with dads. And then the last reason why I want to focus on the fathers is because we actually are living in a culture that is opposed uh, to fathers, where, where things like the patriarchy are seen as something that needs to be condemned and vilified. And whether you know it or not, this is happening through media and through entertainment, regularly a devaluing of the role of the father. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to be true to God's word, and we're, we're going to try to understand it with the design that he has created today. Before we do, I want to offer you just a couple of uh, perspectives that cause problem in our world today. Uh, kids today live with a culture of emancipation. Uh, this is where if you if you don't want your parents anymore, uh, you can reject their authority and legally uh, be, a child could become divorced from their parents. This is an assault upon the authority that God has designed within the home. Uh, next is individualization. Uh, this is a, a movement against the authority of your neighbor and the authority of society and the importance of us working together. Uh, there, there was a song last year that was most popularized. I learned it from my son. It's called Old Town Road. You guys know this song? Have you heard this at all on the radio? Old Town Road. Uh, I, for the life of me, cannot understand why kids of my son's generation like this song. Uh, I'm going to ride my horse to the Old Town Road. What's the next line? Someone help me out here. Something till it can't ride no more, right? Thank you. Um, I, I don't get it. I'm not sure why that's so popular. And then I heard the very next line, which says, can't nobody tell me nothing. Ain't nobody tell me nothing. And I, immediately I thought, ha, I see why this appeals. Uh, here's the idea of the maverick on his own doing what he wants. Nobody can tell him a thing. Uh, and that finds a strong resonance in our culture, especially with the youngest generation. And that comes from uh, individualization and uh, our culture's obsession with it. Uh, Next is toleration. Uh, This in our culture is a movement against moral authority. If you want to take a stand on anything that you would find as being um, evil or wrong in our world today, you will be very quickly vilified as somebody who is intolerant. Um, and, and that's because we have and live in a culture where uh, that which is moral becomes that which is relative to yourself. So you'll hear people referring to my truth and you have your truth. Uh, well, truth is truth. Uh, and that actually moves to the next one here, uh, which is intimidation, a culture of intimidation. Uh, this is a movement against rational authority. So using reason, the ability to, uh, to make an argument 
uh, and, and to, to have people understand what is true and what is false. Uh, you see this many times as people quell under the pressure of perceived intimidation, meaning they'll make decisions not because it's right or wrong, but because they're afraid of what people might think. They're intimidated. That, that's the culture we live in. In fact, you see this probably most regularly in school systems. I can remember the day where if the teacher sent a note home to say this child was misbehaving, the parents would support who? They'd support the teacher. What about today? If the teacher took a stand to say that this child was out of line, nine times out of ten, what happens in our world today? The parents don't take the side of the teacher. They take the side of the, the child. And, and this because we live in a culture of intimidation and, and we, we, we cannot agree upon where authority lies and what is true. Um, a couple others, a delinquent celebration and then a juvenation, which is not rejuvenation. That's a totally made up word. And let me explain it to you here. But a delinquent celebration is, it against, is, is a movement against traditional authority. So the way things are generally done. Uh, this was even showing up in, in my childhood where you found certain kids that didn't fit into peer social settings or, or that which is normal. And instead of having affirmation from authorities, they being left alone decided to embrace their odd behavior, which led to the, the gothic movement and where, where kids began dressing and, and acting with a fascination towards darkness and things that are evil um, and dressing and uh, allowing uh, their appearance to reflect this embracing of delinquency. Uh, th- this is something that in our world today is not on the fringes. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a small group, but it's actually celebrated in our world today. Uh, does anyone uh, know of the artist uh, Billie Eilish? This is one of the youngest, most popular singers in the world today. Uh, I think... 17 or 18 years old, um, I, I would warn you, be careful watching many of her music videos because they are an embracement. They are a celebration of kind of delinquent behavior. And that being uh, propped up in our world today. Uh, I had a conversation with my son this past week. He was telling me about a YouTube channel that many of his friends watch. Um, I forget the name of it, thankfully, but uh, I, I brought one up there to watch with him. And uh, just was just shocked to see with disgust the, the kind of behavior that passes for entertainment uh, to young people today. The thing that really shocked me most of all, uh, most of the YouTube channels that I subscribe to are either apologetic channels or science-based channels. And they have a minimum number of subscribers and views. But this one video had over 42 million views, which I don't think I've ever seen a video with that many views. It's just shocks me and proves how very rampant this is. The re- hey, everybody with me? I'm trying to bring this to your attention because this is off my radar. And I'm guessing it's off your radar too, uh, that we need to see where and how uh, the kids of the youngest generation are being influenced against something that all these have in common. Last one, juvenation, just is against elder authority. Uh, you see that all the way back in the day of Andy Griffith beginning, right? That children were becoming celebrated as those who are more correct than the adults. The place where I encountered this growing up was in uh, The Simpsons. You guys know that show, right? Bart Simpson, Homer Simpson. My dad, after one episode, forbid me as a child from watching that. And I could never understand really why, but I suspected I knew why. It was a little bit kind of slightly off-color humor, but that wasn't the reason. 
I, I remember trying to argue with my dad that it's nothing I haven't heard before. It's not that bad. And my dad said, that's not the reason. The reason you're not allowed to watch this is because the dad is depicted as a buffoon. And I, that was off my radar as a child. I was being brainwashed into seeing adults as the bumbling don't. That, that's what I was being, I did that wasn't the part I was interested in as a child. It was the slapstick comedy that I thought was funny. All the while in the background, perpetuating this idea that the parents are good for nothing. They don't know what's going on. They're out of touch. It's really the kids. It's the juveniles who are the ones that are correct. Do you see what all these have in common? These are all stances against authority. As we look to discipline and affirmation in our world today, we have to pay attention to the primary reason. And it's us helping to mold in our children's lives a correct response to authority. In 2 Timothy, Paul gives these words, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Kind of feels like we're in the last days with coronavirus right now, but uh, here's what he says. If you want to characterize it, this is what it'll look like. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to the parents and ungrateful and holy without love and unforgiving slanders without self-control and on and on and on. Right in the middle of this list, though, is one that you might have just overlooked. It's easy to miss. Right there in the middle of it is the abuse and rebellion of God's fifth commandment at the very center of the Ten Commandments, which is children, honor, your father and your mother. Not in the last days. In the last days, what you will find is an embracement of self will lead to a rejection of authority. I reject their authority. And being disobedient to parents is to be seen in these last times a hallmark of the warnings that the Bible gives us. And the reason why I think faster than ever children are leaving the church. I mean... If you just look around, what's the, what's the average age we have here in our worship service today? I mean, granted, many of our kids are over in children's church right now, but it's not hard to see that there is an entire demographic that's missing. Here's one of the reasons why, and if we're going to change that, we have to pay attention to this issue. You guys with me? The issue of discipline and affirmation is a response to authority. We need to teach and model our, so our children know how to respond to authority. Now, I get a little preachy on this if you give me just one moment here, because deep down in our hearts, none of us like authority. You see it in the very beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden. Who was the authority? God was the one in charge. And the one rule that they were to obey, trusting in God's authority and wisdom, they broke thereby showing themselves to be better suited to make these decisions. From the very onset, the lie from the evil one was, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. You can call the shots. Not, uh, let, let me, did you ever get pulled over driving? How, how, did you like that? Did you enjoy that? Submitting to authority? Nobody likes it. Nowhere in our human DNA and nature do we want to affirm those in authority. In the video depicted there with Andy Griffith, you saw the same thing. The little boy wanted nothing to do with the authority that was in charge, not only rebelling against the authority that was instituted, but even turning to his own father. When the sheriff said, do you want me to lock your dad up? He said, go ahead. Go ahead, because I'd rather have my way. A great worldly insight, a depiction of what's going on around us. So this is 
the question. It is an issue of authority. We're going to be in two passages, and I'm going to move very quickly through them. So uh, affirmation and discipline show up in two places. The first is going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I invite you to turn there with me. I'm going to read through it and, again, very quickly move through the passage, giving us a few uh, characteristics of what godly discipline looks like. Hebrews chapter 12. Page 1717 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to start in the middle of verse 5 with a quote here. Um, the writer says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. All right, very quickly, a few characteristics here of godly discipline. The, the, the first one is affliction. Uh, it's not a misspelling that, that doesn't say affection. That says affliction. However, what I want you to know is discipline must come from love. This doesn't mean that you are afflicting or you are punishing uh, the child in discipline. What this means is very simply this. True godly discipline will be hard for you to do. I remember hearing it phrased this way. Maybe you heard it too. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to Anyone else hear that one? Yeah. And you, you want to know something? If that's the characteristic of your discipline, you're doing it right. I want you to think of the way in which God reached down for us. It, did it cost God nothing? Was it just easy for God? Not at all. Uh, for, for God to undergo reaching his children in a way that he placed all of the punishment on his own son cost God. It was hard for him, which is why the first characteristic here is affliction. It is only when discipline sourced in love that you will feel a loss in it yourself. I know sometimes it's very hard. Um, it's very hard. Uh, to discipline my kids, uh, to see where they've gone wrong, but to know that I will be the one responsible. Therefore, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt them. But that's the first characteristic. And I need to say this good and loud and clear. If discipline for you is not out of love, you're doing it wrong. If, if you get angry with your children, you're doing it wrong. Uh, you, you need to take a moment, even as a parent, calm yourself down and make sure that you can clearly help them and and, and then uh, dispense discipline as the, as the Lord leads you properly as a loving parent because the affliction that it causes is not on them. The affliction comes from yourself. This is right in God's word here. Verse 5, it says, Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord, what's it say? Disciplines those he, those he loves. We have this reminder also in Proverbs 13. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. You may have heard it, spoils the children, right? The Bible doesn't say spoils. It says it. You, you must hate your child if you're not willing to discipline them. But the one who loves their children is careful. 
to discipline them. So the affliction here is felt on the parent side. It's not on the child side. The affliction, because it's coming from love. Secondly is this, uh, possession. If you look with me back into the text, you'll see in verse 7 and 8, endure hardship as discipline. Why? Because he's treating you as sons. God doesn't discipline those who aren't his own. Uh, If you're walking down the street and you see some kid misbehaving, do you walk over there and spank them? You might get the police called on you if you you did that, right? Uh, No, but it's your own children that you care for. It's your own sons and daughters. And this is exactly the message that we get here. That discipline, when seen from the children's perspective, actually communicates a love that shows you belong to us. And the reason you belong to us is why we're willing to discipline you. Uh, The best illustration that I have of this uh, came a few years back with the Boston riots. Do you remember that? There, there was a video circulated of a mom. So the Boston riots were this time where, you know, there kind of was, again, uh, uh, kind of free-range vandalism going on and protesting going on. And there were some young kids who were really fired up about that. And this one young man in particular, I think 15 or 16 years old, puts on a hood and a scarf and he's going to go out there with his buddies in the gang and going to be part of the action, right? And then you see this mom chasing her son down, slapping him and beating him. And here's the thing I love. He's dressed up such that you couldn't identify him, but who could still identify him? Yeah, the mom, she knew. Uh, I I watched an interview uh, in preparation for the message on this from the mother, and these, these were her words. She said, that's my only son. That's my only son. Now, if you remember back in the Boston riots, I think there were some injuries and maybe even some fatalities that happened with it. But this mom said, not my kid. Mm Mm-mm. Not my son. This is not the behavior I'm going to allow. And so in stepping in to perform discipline, she did so because he belonged to her. I want you to know that you belong to God. That's why he disciplines you. And so the second attribute here of godly discipline is built from belonging possession. Uh, next is obligation. By obligation, I simply mean this. If, if, uh, if you don't discipline your children, who's going to? It's your job. Fathers, it's your job. Moms are uh, pretty, pretty steady at this, uh, but the dads need to step in and make sure that they as well are disciplining. And not only when it gets way out of hand, dads need to be far more involved because that's their position. I mean, I can even recall in my own life, my mom would say, I'm the mom. <laughs> I knew what she meant when she said that. It meant I'm kind of restricted under the obligation of the parental authority. That She's playing that card. Things are going to happen a certain way because that's obligatory within that relationship. And if you are not going to discipline, nobody's going to discipline. So it's, it comes out of obligation. We see this as well in God's word. In verse 9, look with me there. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? That, that verb there, submission, is, is cluing us here in here on the obligatory relationship for discipline. Number, number four is this. Uh, it's transformation. Uh, the Father disciplines us for our good. Uh, you'll see that in verse 10. Fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The, the whole aspect here with the book of Hebrews says that you need to undergo hardship. As discipline. Has anyone undergone hardship? Anybody know what that feels like? Yeah. When you are undergoing discipline, or I'm sorry, undergoing hardship, 
you need to frame that not only as being an attribute of the broken world, but that God is allowing you right now to feel whatever depth and loss and sorrow so that you will cry out to him because he knows he's going to work it for good. I need, I need a lot more time to unpack this more. The Bible is replete with commands to rejoice when you undergo hardship because God's treating you like a son and because the testing of your faith is going to produce perseverance. One place you can see this here in 1 Peter, he says, in all this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you are made to suffer all kinds of grief and trials. These come so that the proven genuineness, of, so that the proven genuineness, misreading this here. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold with perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We've got this uh, little dog that I love to throw into my sermons here. And uh, if you let him outside without the leash, he will wander into the road because his nose takes him there. Now, is a road any place for a little dog? It's not. He, he'll be destroyed there. And so I will, I, I'm harping at him and he doesn't listen. Turns his head like that, doesn't want to listen to me. And so I got to walk out there and sometimes chase him down because he knows I'm coming. And then I scoop him up and he gives me a lark. And he, know, he knows because he, he wanted to go that direction on his own. Now, if I let him go on his own, what's going to happen to him? Do you see the same problem in your life? If you are just let off the chain to follow your desires, follow the whims and the leading of your heart, it will lead you into a place that ultimately leads to death. God says, that one belongs to me. I'm not going to let him go that direction. And sometimes he's got to scoop you up a little bit in a way that doesn't feel so nice. And those trials, that testing of your faith, it's done to transform us into the good. This passage from 1 Corinthians, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. What's that mean? Fallen asleep. It means they've actually died. He's talking to the church right now. But if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we're being judged in this way by the Lord, we are being what? Disciplined. So that we will not be finally condemned with the world. God's discipline, godly discipline, is done for transformation. Number five, association. The Father disciplines us because we're sharing in his nature. Not becoming God, but in the characteristics that define God. Those communicable things, like for, in particular, holiness. I want to draw you back to the text uh, one more time. If you, if you look with me here, uh, you will see in verse 10. Uh, but God disciplines us for our good that we may... Share in his holiness. Association with the values that you have for your children are going to include a need to discipline. Uh, when, I, when I was in uh, grade school, I liked to just act out for attention. And my gym teacher at one point pulled me aside and gave me a little bit of discipline. He, it, it, it wasn't physical, but it was a little bit of a chastisement. Essentially, what he told me is, this isn't... Your behavior is not who you are. Uh, you're acting in a way that's not, not proper. It's time, it's time to grow up. I remember that conversation. That was not fun. I, I'm kind of sweating up here right now just remembering it. 
That was good discipline, though, because I needed to know who I really was and to begin to act that way. Are you a child of God? Are you? Is that who you really are? Well, then we need discipline to make sure we are acting in proper association with God as he's promised that we would share in his holiness. Finally, number six is for production. Uh, Production here you see in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The best illustration I have of this is a a flower uh, that we had in a pot right outside our door when we were in the Bahamas. It's called a desert rose. Now, we had let this plant kind of grow wild on its own, and it stopped producing these brilliant, iridescent flowers. It it was just beautiful, but it wasn't producing anymore. And I asked one of the um, elder folks there, she's got these blooming desert roses that are just gorgeous. How do you get them to do that? She says, you have to prune them. You can't let them grow wild. You have to trim those those, uh, vines as they start to spread. You have to cut them back. And the plant, when they're cut back, will put out new ones which will bloom and they look beautiful. And that's the same thing that God does with us. He knows that if you're left to yourselves, those wild shoots, your desires will lead you in a way that will not produce life, but will instead produce death. And so his answer is a kind of discipline that's a pruning so that you will flower, so that there will be a harvest of righteousness at the due time. All right, you on board with me on this? This is it's, it's a two-for-one Sunday for you because i got a whole other sermon to give right now on a different passage. So we got to look at affirmation, and I will do this as quickly as possible. Please turn with me here to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3. Thirteen seventy-six in the Pew Bibles. Matthew, chapter 3, we have the best example of godly affirmation. It comes from God himself. Verses 16 and 17. Actually, I'm going to start here in verse 13. Uh, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, "Let let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I love. With him I am well pleased. All right, so I I want you to see the role that affirmation here plays um, uh, from a godly perspective. The first characteristic is identification. The Father showed up. Jesus' baptism, guess who was there? Dad was there. God didn't say, I got this work trip. There's a big problem over in Indonesia. I can't make it to your baptism. Nope, God was there. He showed up at that moment. So he identifies with his son. Boy, that's important. So many kids today are starved for love because parents just fail to be seen with them. Um. My daughter had uh, an event for a fundraiser at her school this week. She was uh, just singing a song. And, um, and I'm, all the parents, you know, we all got our phones out. But then at the end, um, and this is, at, this is at Bishop Barriga, so it's a pretty small school. But as it was over, I went, woohoo! Everybody kind of looks. What's wrong with that, Dad? <laughs> showing up, man. She's going to know I'm showing up. And uh, as she walked down, she's making eyes at me the whole time. 
right? That's the same thing God does with Jesus. He shows up. He identifies with him. Number two is a presentation. Not only did God show up, but he made his presence felt. Woohoo! He's there. You can't miss him. Um, God makes his presence felt. He doesn't only make his presence felt with a dove that shows up, but he also makes his presence known with a declaration. And so he speaks. Now let's look at the content of what God says. Uh, this next one is called appropriation. That's, just, that's a big word that means make your own. If you appropriate something, you make it your own. And look at the first thing. Verse 17. A voice from heaven said. What's it say? I know you're all right right now. What's it say? God says, this one's mine. This one's mine. I remember being young. Uh, my dad uh, coached Little League for a while. Uh, and then one time he wasn't uh, coaching and my sister was playing. I was done because I was too old. Um, uh, but my sister here, one of the only girls, cracks a home run. And you should have just seen my dad beaming. That's my kid. That's me. Told everybody. That one belongs to me. Number six, admiration. What else does God say? This is my son whom I love. Whom I love. Do you know how many, how many men say, I, I never heard that from my dad. Never, he never told me he loved me. So you know what? I ain't telling no one else I love them either. Oh my goodness. There's a little bit of pain there. There's a little bit of brokenness there. Do you know, do you know what's needed from a father? Just to hear those words. I love you. I try to tell my kids that as often as I can. That they would be affirmed knowing who they belong to. I'm, I'm willing to, to look foolish to be connected with them because I'm so proud of them. Which is the last thing that God says here is, uh, is called satisfaction. The father praised his son. He says, with him, I am well pleased. Good job. This great job. I'm well pleased. Do you see the pictures? Is everybody tracking with me on this? Uh, discipline, for, for a godly form of discipline. And affirmation, a godly form of affirmation. Both need to be present in our lives. Both, by the way, are commanded from who? Mothers or fathers? Fathers. Fathers and the importance of the role that fathers play. And here's the reason why. I'm drawing it together. We're wrapping up right now. Here's the reason why. Because if you fail to do discipline properly... You will lead your children with a skewed understanding of authority. Trust me, your kids don't want authority. Just like you don't want authority. God is the judge. Like it or not. The Bible says there will come a day where every action done under heaven will be brought into judgment. Those, those things that were done in the light and those things that were done in the dark. God will bring all things under judgment. Like it or not, he is the authority. How? imperative that we resist the cultural movement against authority and we train our kids to know how to properly respect the highest authority that there is. If we fail at this, they're not going to come to church. They're going to not want anything to do with God. Instead, they're going to follow with every one of those principles from the world that follow upon a love for self, for individualization and tolerance and, and juvenile and delinquent celebration. That's the world that they're in right now. So what do we do with this? One point of application. You and I need to model the molding of our children's attitude towards authority with God's balance of both discipline and affirmation. If you're only using a stick, you're doing it wrong. If you're only using a carrot, you're doing it wrong. 
for the sake of their minds to live in a society and then to submit to the Creator God. They need to know proper modeling for authority. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.